I know many of you agree with the Quarren, that I am too young to rule. But I assure you, I will use all my strength and all my abilities to lead us through this challenge. We are a great people, and I will do all I can to negotiate peace without bloodshed. I do not believe the Quarren will attack. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Buto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the Clone Army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists! So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to Send in the Clones! In this episode, King Colina is dead, leaving young Prince Lee Cha to hold the Quarren Mon Calamari alliance together. But dastardly Separatist Commander Rip Thames and influences the Quarren to break the alliance, and soon the Prince's people are slaves! Hey, troops, it's your old buddy Bucho on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars, and next to me in the dropship on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars is the Anakin Tamar Soka. It's your trusty pal, Robbie. Hello, everyone. And we are here to talk about the 67th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology, directed by Dwayne Dunham and written by Jose Molina. Or maybe it's Jose Molina, Robbie. I don't know if he's Portuguese or Spanish, but he's one of those two things. And it's season four, episode one, Water War. So, Robbie, how about we roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about this episode before you rewatched it again this week? Well, first of all, it's probably Jose since it's, you know, it is the U.S. So, sure. I'm just saying, there's not a whole lot of uh, Portuguese people here. The probability, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. But anyway, yeah, this um, lot of water. That is a that is a lot of water. Yeah, the title's kind of a spoiler. I remember that it was an arc that took place on Mancala, but with all of these arcs, I've said it a hundred times now probably less than a hundred times but i've said it many times that with the arcs it's hard to remember i just remember that this is the introduction sort of to this arc where all of the trouble starts you know and i just remembered prince leechar i remember admiral akbar which is now captain akbar in this timeline i guess you could say i mean that's pretty much all i remembered about this episode in particular was the fact that those people were in it but yeah i couldn't remember exactly how things went down but yeah that's yeah, a lot of water, for sure. Did you remember that Captain Akbar says, It's an attack! Yeah. Instead of it's a trap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they really play into that meme stuff, even really before memes right. were a thing. You know, this was, what, 2010? I don't think memes were as prevalent as they are today, but... Sure. I mean, I think this arc plays into part of the reason why people like akbar so much i think this played into it i mean that's just my opinion well of course he is kind of in charge of prince lee char in this episode and we see early in the episode that he seems like a pretty level-headed kid in general when he agrees with captain akbar that he is untrained and therefore not ready to lead an army and he kind of seems a few scenes later as if he's not even ready to be a king when he declares to his people in as regal a fashion as he can i do not believe the quarren will attack about three and a half seconds before the Quarren attack. Yeah. And it's played almost as a comedic beat because that's when old Sharkman Riff Tamsin, he literally yells, attack. The next word after <laughs> after young Prince Lee Chow says, I do not believe the Quarren will attack. The next word is attack. How did you like how did you like Prince Lee Chow and 
specifically the way that moment is played. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I have a note. I have the exact same note. I say, I do not believe the corn will attack. Spoiler alert, they did. <laughs> yeah, it sort of plays into... Oh, gosh, I went blank. Senator Chuchi? Yeah, it plays into that same sort of way, except, you know, Akbar can be trusted. So, I mean, it's one of those things where, in a way, it's it, it feels very, very reminiscent of that. I remember the first time I watched it, I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, this is okay. Nothing was really, like, sticking out to me. He's kind of an even sort of more simplified version of Rio Chuchi. Like, it's a more simple version of a story that we've seen before. And even the way the action plays out in this episode, where they're underwater instead of above the ground, there's something about the physics of being underwater that kind of restricts or deadens a lot of the Jedi's abilities. And so the action scenes, I don't know if you found the same thing, but they... A kind of a, I mean, get ready for an excellent pun, Robbie. The action scenes seem watered down versions <laughs> of the above ground stuff. You know, I mean, I love it. <laughs> and so, I don't know. Does that do those two points sort of come together to make any sense for you? Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Like this episode in particular, I, I hate to be super critical, especially so late in the show, but this feels like. It almost feels like not a whole lot happens. And they're creating this world and it's it almost feels like to me it was a it was almost an exercise in can we do this? Right. You know, can we pull this off instead of being a very compelling story with compelling characters. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I don't know. It that's just how it feels to me. Yeah, in some ways it felt almost like it was a first draft or a second draft or an un- unfinished thing it felt a little bit like they hadn't really thought out how to tell the story even and i mean i don't know if you've ever been in water robbie but one thing that does happen on land that doesn't happen on water is that you fall down like if you fall off something high like some kind of tube for example when you're above water you fall down but you when you're in the water and you fall out of a tube that's also in the water you don't fall down so when that rock smashed that tube way that anakin and padme and lee char and the princess guards were traveling through do you have any idea why his guards kind of fall down as they fall out of the tube as if they weren't underwater? I don't know. And maybe, I mean, it's part of what you said. It almost feels like a draft. It almost feels like, even though we're underwater, we're still playing into some of those tropes. Well, let's put in this little dangerous part, but it's really not that big of a... I don't know. I, I just felt like, like I said, I hate being critical, but it's, it feels a, a bit lackluster to me. Yeah, another issue I had that was a bit lackluster was a lot of the battle geography was either unclear or even uninspired I guess like in the wide shots it was just the two sides swimming toward each other with streams of lasers between them which is just kind of unimaginative visual staging and in those close shots not only are our our heroes mostly just treading water in one spot while swinging their lightsabers around which you know like I said is a much less dynamic state of affairs than when we see Jedi's fight on land you know where they're leaping around and it almost felt weirdly like they use the three dimensions better when they're staging land fights than in this water column where they could really use all three axes more freely for some reason they don't and like a lot of it when I think back to the action on this episode I think of Anakin or Ahsoka basically sitting in one place treading water swinging their lightsaber around and it's not that there weren't cool moments but yeah it all just felt a little bit random a little bit messy and kind of a lot of it felt a little bit dull just from a visual storytelling standpoint yeah and all the being underwater kind of makes everything look sort of dull right you know yeah and even though 
Like I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm watching it probably more intently on this third watch. You know, the whole series, I'm watching it more intently than I ever watched it before because I've watched it before for for just enjoyment. So it was, you know, when I'm watching it for this, it's a little different, and it's actually. In a lot of ways, I'm experiencing some things for the first time because I'm really paying attention to things. And during this episode, I'm finding my attention, you know, wane. Right. I'm not a super, you know, attention deficit kind of person. You know what I mean? I can sit through a four-hour movie, no problem. And I find my attention just kind of like, oh my gosh, let's move on to the next part here. And especially when it looks the way that it does... The action scenes seem to dull it even more because it's almost like let's get to the next part where, you know, the characters have an interaction, you know, that's meaningful and not just a bunch of wailing around. I don't know. I'm feeling super critical of it now that I'm talking about it, even more than when I was watching it, because it's just it's be honest, it's just not very memorable. Yeah, I wonder if a big part of the problem is that Princely Char is just kind of an uncompelling character. There's nothing... You know, like we said, he's kind of a watered-down version of a character we've seen before who is a a much more interesting version of the young royal, you know, trying to step up to the plate. But I think it also had a similar problem to Corruption where Ahsoka acts weirdly untactically. You know, for someone who is as street smart and as generally smart and as tactically aware as she is, there's a couple of moments. One of them was in the tubes when she's with Prince Lee Char. She's trying to keep him safe. And there's a moment where they're riding that submarine speeder and it has a bunch of guns on the front, doesn't it? Yeah. Because thinking back to this afterwards, I think maybe it just didn't have guns on the front because they find themselves facing down a school of underwater battle droids coming straight at them, also in the tube and straight in front of them, exactly where Ahsoka's guns are pointing. And what does she do? (laughs) She lets the speeder go to smash into them instead of just shooting them when they're right in their sights. And so this was so... Odd. I, f- I honestly feel like I need to go back and watch the episode and check. Like, did they actually not have guns? Or was there a moment where Ahsoka said, oh, now our guns are jammed? It just made zero sense. It was Ahsoka being much dumber than we know she is. And then there was another moment when Sharkman rift hands and smashes through the side of the tube. Two things happen. One, Ahsoka doesn't lead Prince Lee Char away. They just sit there treading water right in front of his gnashing jaws. <laughs> and two, Ahsoka doesn't lightsaber Sharkman ripped Tamsin's face off. And so both of these things were so un like that they made me wonder, have I missed something or is this just written by somebody who doesn't understand where Ahsoka is in her journey? I don't know. It was pretty frustrating. Although I will say that this Sharkman Rift Tamsin, he was one of the shining lights of the episode. The other one was these massive hydroid medusas. But before we get to them, Sharkman Rift Tamsin, he's a Kakaradon. Sharkman from Karkaris, and he doesn't use any kind of blaster in battle to defeat his foes. This was the one thing about the action scenes that I loved. He just bites the heck out of everyone. He doesn't have a weapon. He sw- I mean, he just sharks you. He sharks you. And so this was something positive about the episode for me. How did you like the way that Sharkman Rift Tamsin fights for Robbie? Well, I mean, that's one of those things where it's a bit on the nose, you know? When the ambassador at the very beginning of the episode is a shark... <laughs> It's kind of like, I think it would have, look, it's one of those things where it's one of the things I I hate doing is, well, what if they did this and what if they did that? I mean, would it have been more interesting to have a dolphin? Well, anything other than a shark, anything that that other than something that is obviously a water hunter (laughs) predator kind of 
thing. Would it have been interesting if it was a different character that you're not exactly sure if this ambassador is going to be a bad guy? You know what I mean? It's immediate. Okay, well, that's the bad guy, and he's got the Corrin believing that this and that. You know, you know what I mean? It's just the. I guess that's what it is, is it's almost like, uh, well, let's just get to the underwater battle. And, I mean, the fact that Shark Boy is a shark, I mean, it's kind of neat, and it's a different way for a villain to act that we've seen before. I mean, we've never seen a flat-out apex predator type, (laughs) you know, to be be a villain here, you know, and especially one that's kind of mixed in with politics and things like, you know what I'm saying? Sure. It's not like uh, the Namordians, you know, they don't look threatening they're not a predator type species so to see them be the bad guys you know that's one thing but here it's just so on the nose all of it's just so on the nose and it's so i hate to say this but it almost feels like a step backward from where they were heading in the previous season but at the same time visually it's impressive it's just not you know pulling me in story-wise or even character-wise so it's Is it even visually impressive though? Because weren't you earlier saying that it was visually kind of boring? It is visually boring, but I'm talking about technically the amount of things that they have on screen. Right. The effects, the volumetric stuff is even more impressive now. The way that there's particles, you know, it's one of the things that I've noted visually or technically, I should say, it's impressive. It almost seems like a tech demo. Right. That's what it feels like. Sure. I don't know what you say about that other than... That's the way it feels. Yeah, I was completely on the same wavelength of you when it came to Rift Hamzen, like when it, he turned up in that debate. <laughs> it was a little bit of a, they're not really going this on the nose, are they? But then somehow the fact that they had him fighting the way he was, it was like, they're going all the way, like they're going beyond. They're turning this on the noseness up to 11. And so once they did that, then it became fun to me that, you know, they were saying, Yes, we know it's on the nose. You know how on the nose it is? We're going to have him fight exactly like a shark, too. <laughs> I sort of admired that part of it. So I was sort of on board with him. And I kind of hoped, and maybe we're still going to get this in one of the two next episodes, that we get a scene with Rift Hamson where he's, you know, he's sitting down for a meal. And on his plate, we see, you know, an old clock or a license plate, you know, old <laughs> tires, the sort of stuff you find inside sharks, you know. But the other thing I just brought up that I liked about this episode, that was Sharkman Rift Hamzen's Hydroid Medusas, which, what does he say? They are half machine, half monster. And they're basically massive armored jellyfish. And we've talked about designs in the show before which have a high creepy factor. Maybe the pinnacle before this episode, at least, was those little spider droids popping out of the massive spider droid in Voyage of Temptation. Or maybe it was the Geonosian mind control worms from Brain Invaders. So did these... Hydroid Medusas at least get somewhere near those two previous creepy things on the four-star Robbie Scala creepiness, Robbie? I gotta be honest, uh, and that is no. And the reason that is is because I have no real-world reference to jellyfish. I've never had a jellyfish, never run into one. I've been in the ocean a handful of times in my life because of where I live. I live sort of away from the water. So, yeah, I mean... I think other than Finding Nemo, right. this is the only other real, at least so that I can think of, very prevalent use of jellyfish in popular media, at least for me. But, you know, you obviously have a frame of reference for that, so what's the story there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean I'm sure the, the troops have heard enough of my bragging about, you know, growing up in these islands out here in the South Pacific and all the, you know, being half fish myself and what have you. And so, yeah, jellyfish do have 
a kind of a place in my heart, you know, a creepy place in my heart. And so I enjoyed seeing these things. And actually, my number one shot in Water War was in the battle against the Hydroid Medusas. Immediately after Prince Lee Cha gives the command to attack, we see a shot from behind the prince, which also features Captain Akbar and Padme and Ahsoka and Anakin and shirtless Kit Fisto in the foreground. And the gigantic glowing hydroid medusas are rising sort of in slow motion through the water behind them. And because of that glow, our heroes are kind of in silhouette. And it actually recalled for me the shot, which may still be my favorite shot of the series so far. All from all the way back in season one in Jewel of the Droids, when Anakin and Ahsoka and Rex's squad are standing on the ramp of the Twilight, which we haven't seen for a while. Did they just leave? I mean... I almost don't want to ask you this because I'm hoping that we're going to see the Twilight again one day. But anyway, that scene where they're standing on the ramp and they're about to airdrop onto Grievous's listening base on the Rusan Moon. I do enjoy a sweet silhouette shot of our heroes, Robbie. And so I know you were saying that this episode wasn't super visually compelling, but what was your favorite shot of Water War? Well, I almost feel guilty saying this because uh, my favorite shot of the episode was out of the water. <laughs> it was the arrival of the clone reinforcements. I just thought that was a cool looking shot. But I will say one of the things that was, was it strange seeing Anakin losing his breath? Yeah. Did it look very comical to you? Like, yep. it almost didn't seem to fit. It, it was, I don't know, it was something about it. I don't know if it was the lighting that they used or if it was actually just something we haven't seen in any of the Clone Wars is, is somebody you know, with their cheeks bulged out like that. It just, yeah. it looked very weird to me. Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny too. Yeah, it was weird weird enough that I had to make a, a note about it because it was just strange. So did you learn any lessons from that scene? Or, Robbie, did you learn any other lessons from Water War? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that we've seen before and it's something that I hazard to say it will probably be something that we'll see in the future. And that is that Kit Fisto's smile heals all wounds. <laughs> Shirtless Kit Fisto with a trillion watt <laughs> smile. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was a, definitely one of the more memorable shots of the episode too, Robbie. And what I learned from Water War is that underwater soldiers in the galaxy far, far away are just as bad at using cover as land-based soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> and so before we bring this one in for a landing, Robbie, we need to sum up. And I should have said before we bring this one back to shore, shouldn't I? Something like that. Some dumb sure. water pun in my quest to make as many dumb puns as possible <laughs> we need to sum up and give our ratings so after your third ever watch of water war how do you like it and where does water war sit on that four star robbie scale well i mean i think it's no surprise that i'm just not finding this to be a, a very compelling episode for me i mean technically it is a step forward you know as far as with their use of particles and all the lighting and things like that it's just not a very interesting compelling episode character-wise or story-wise. So for me, this one, it's probably one of my lowest. It's it's a two out of four. Yeah, I'm on the same page, unfortunately, Robbie. I've got this down at four chunks bitten out of Mon Calamari's by a shark man, and it might have even been lower if it wasn't for shark man Riff Tamsin going around <laughs> biting people, and of course shirtless Kid Fisto was fun, and uh, I did like those hydroid medusas, but that's kind of a sad end to season four episode one water war so robbie if the troops out there want to tell us how wrong we are and how awesome this episode is and why we should have done a better job of removing this episode <laughs> how can they reach us 
Yeah, we are Bucho and Robbie at Gmail, Twitter, and Instagram. That's B-U-C-H-O-A-N-D-R-O-B-B-Y. Yes, sir. And of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 68th episode of the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's going to be Season 4, Episode 2, Gun Gun Attack. And until then, this is your old buddy Bucho, alongside your trusty pal Robbie. And we are looking forward to seeing Jar Jar and Gun Gun Attack. Are we, Robbie? Well, maybe. Oh, maybe. Oh, come on, Jaja. But we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform, and Pucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Pucho and Robbie at gmail.com. May the force be with you.